really got to have passion for what you do. Our dental industry really requires passion. Welcome back to the Dental Head Start Podcast. My name is Erica Huyen, and for this month's feature, we are joined by the wonderful Kathy Metaxas. Now, we all know that feeling when you meet someone and you just hit it off with them straight away. And Kathy is one of those people. She's just so enthusiastic and full of infectious energy, and she's so passionate about what she does. Kathy is the founder and director of Platinum Professional Development. She's a motivational speaker, a coach, an educator, and an advocate for patient care and management and fostering strong teamwork within a dental practice. One thing we love doing on the podcast is talking to people who aren't necessarily dentists, but who are so fundamental and integral to our industry. We all know that a dental practice is only as good as its staff. And so in this episode, Kathy talks me through it all about the different roles that everyone has to play to ensure that we enjoy going to work each day, that everyone's able to grow and flourish in their respective roles, and most importantly, that our patients are able to have the care that they deserve. In this feature, we talk about Kathy's incredible 44-year-long journey in dentistry, the gaps that she saw and made it her mission to address. We talk about leadership and teamwork, how generational differences affect us, and Kathy's advice for new grads entering the dental world. This was a wonderful episode to record and i really hope you guys enjoy hearing things from a different perspective kathy's just so full of wisdom and she's another one of our stellar lineup speakers for the dental summit being held next year september 1st and 2nd so stick around to learn more about kathy but first let's hand it over to hayden's corner G'day everyone, and welcome back to Hayden's Corner. This month's Giving Project donation has been inspired by William McCaskill's book, Doing Good Better. If you don't know, this book is very, very utilitarian, and it really looks at how one can go about being the most efficient in minimizing suffering in the world by donating to cost-effective, well-managed, life-saving charities. As a dental podcast, we're always going to have a focus on dental-related charities, and the mouth, as we all know, is the gateway to systemic health. However, the principle and philosophy of really trying to do the best we can to give as much as we can, or as McCaskill calls it, effective altruism, to those in need is a principle I think we can all get behind. So I want to point out one of William's favorite charities, the Against Malaria Foundation, where for only $5, you can supply a net to protect children under five in sub-Saharan Africa from malaria-carrying mosquitoes. And by providing another $1,000, we will be supplying 200 nets. This is just one of many charities found on his website, givewell.org, where you can also donate for anti-malaria medicine that is $7 each and vitamin A supplements that only cost $1. If you're interested, please check out the show notes to find out more. And now I'll let Erica and Kathy take it away. So, Kathy, welcome to the Dental Head Start podcast. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. It's been a struggle, a little ordeal for us to connect <laughs> to the audio, but we finally got it. And I've been waiting a very long time to have this conversation with you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm equally excited. <laughs> Well, Kathy, I think, you know, just to get things started, I kind of want to share with our listeners a little bit more about you. And so you're not a dentist, but you are so incredibly experienced with the dental field. You know it in and out. Um, You've been working in it for, what, 40 plus years now. Could you tell us a little bit about what exactly it is that you do and why you're so familiar with the dental industry? Well, it has been 40 
let's just say 44 plus years. 44 plus years. Plus years <laughs> since I was introduced into dentistry. So I started very humbly at the bottom where I was what they called a floater when they employed me. So floater slash grubber slash dairy nurse. Um, but it was really interesting because infection control didn't exist. So, and I managed our... Uh, infection control area to the best of its ability and, and the limited technology and equipment and processes that we had for about 18 months. Then I became a two-side assistant. But I was very blessed, Erica, to have a dentist who allowed me to do a lot of extended scope assisting. Um, so th there were things like, you know, taking the alginate, making the temporaries, uh, all those things that these days we perhaps are not allowed to do, he was kind enough to let me to explore that. So I did a lot Cheerside um, for him. We, And that's how I grew in a practice of about 11 years. And so it was the scrubber, it was the assistant, it was the receptionist, it was a practice manager, and then it became the treatment coordinator. So I sacked myself from practice manager and because I had this absolute budding rising star, Jacinta, and she was amazing. So I gave her the position of PM and I just managed treatment plans with six rooms. So they built me my own little room, probably known as a closet these days, <laughs> and seeing this tiny little space, um, actually explaining and educating patients on their treatment plans and getting a very, very high case acceptance for it. So that all evolved and then I sort of went into business for myself, left dentistry, you know, being the Greek, good Greek girl I am, sort of meet the right man who you thought at the time was right, you get married, <laughs> you have children, uh, and then we went into business. So I actually got the experience of owning my own business. I turned back to dentistry and managed a very large city practice in Perth, Western Australia, where my home is. And that was different because it was very much about business and the aspects of business and targets and budgets. And I didn't even realise dentistry made money. So I was blessed to meet quite an entrepreneurial spirit dentist and he taught me all of that. So we did really well together and then I would do favours for him because golf was such, such a thing then. So everyone belonged to a golf club. And they would talk and then I'd get either a phone call or a message through Dr. Pete saying if I could do favours for them. So I just did favours for dentists randomly. Very, very nice gentleman uh, paid me for a favour. And the rest is in history. And with that very, well, at the time it was a large payment, um, I developed Platinum, I developed a logo and I developed my company and then... I was blessed enough to get around the country. I don't have a fancy website. I don't invest any mon money in marketing, uh, good or bad, I'm unsure. Um, but word gets around, I think, Erica, if people are really happy with the outcome of the relationship. And for me, that's what it's about. So I love to watch people grow. So over a period of three decades, dentistry has taught me a lot, a lot so as technology evolves, I evolve with it, you know, as procedures and materials and equipment and the build and the fit outs of dental practices evolve, I evolve with it. So I think that's been where I've been fortunate. 
It's been an education that a university could never give you. Real life scenarios. And I love patients. So when I'm in a practice coaching or training, I never had a chat away to them. They don't really realize I'm interviewing them. But I get to learn a lot from our patients about the care, the service, technology, fees. And from that, I gather a lot as well. So I'm constantly learning. Such a wonderful attitude that you had. And clearly, it's that attitude where you are always wanting to learn, eager, that growth mindset that's led you from you know, starting as a floater and becoming like the practice. Or would you consider yourself like a practice consultant or what would you describe your title as? Well, I am a consultant, but I like the word coach more these days. A coach, yeah. I love to coach and show and support people how to grow mm-hmm. um, in, in dental practices in themselves uh, for their team. So I, I like coach. I, I think that has a nicer flavor for me. I think that suits you entirely, Kathy. You are a coach. <laughs> but yeah, as you were saying, what I find really fascinating, what, what makes me so excited to have you on the show is that at Dental Head Start, we oftentimes interview what we say like esteemed members of the industry. And the reason why we say just members of the industry is that it's not just dentists. And our industry is not just made up of dentists, even though, you know, the bulk of our listeners, everyone is, you know, studying or either already a dentist, but there is so much more to the field. And I love hearing from different people, whether it be, you know, from specialists or new grads or, you know, lab technicians. I really want to, you know, have a, a dental assistant on and give me, you know, what I wish my my dentist <laughs> would do. But it's great to hear you as someone who's, you know, been very much ingrained in the industry all your life and just your experience and how it's shaped that. And I want to dive into a little bit more about, especially those early years where you said you started off as a floater, but you were very fortunate to work in a practice where your boss was really encouraging and wanted you to constantly step up and take on more roles. Was that structure always existent in that practice? Like, did they always have that kind of, you start off as a scrubber, then you go to chairside, then you go to reception, then you go to treatment coordinator. Was that always there or did it kind of evolve as you were working there? I think it evolved. And and also I think he noticed that I was quite a chatter. So (laughs) what, what... What drew him to me and the energy he invested in me was I loved to get on with the patients. So I just would matter and talk to them, help them through anxiety moments when they're stressed and they're nervous, they're unsure, uh, they don't want something but truly need it for pain control. Um, That was where I felt was my strength. And then he would build trust in me in allowing me to have that connection while he was in another room doing something else or he was in another room doing a a dental hygienist or a dental therapist examination at the time. And I could even finish an appointment for him that allowed me to do the things that I know I could. Our, Our practice evolved into being taking people through those steps most definitely, but I became responsible for that. Because as I moved on out of the clinic into the front, then the induction of that process of how I became, I made it part of the process in that practice. And truly, Erica, that's how our my program evolved. I was wondering, Kathy, when we talk about like um, the roles of a treatment coordinator or of a practice manager, not every practice has these things, do they? Like not every practice would necessarily have a, you know, someone that specifically looks after treatment or is a patient coordinator or is a practice manager. Could you kind of explain a little bit more about what these roles are and how you came to understand that like these roles 
existed um, and then decided to take on that role at the practice. Yeah, it is an evolved position and not all practices have them. You're absolutely right. And they are a position that also attracts quite a hefty remuneration. So practices, in fairness to them, have to be able to afford it. So, and and that also evolves as it becomes busier and that practice expands. And you will always find, Erica, there'll be someone in that practice that has the skill to become a practice manager, that has the skill to be a treatment coordinator and to treatment coordinate and explain, aside from science, the structure of your treatment plan, well, you've got to be a really good dental assistant to be that. You've got to know your surfaces. You've got to know your treatments. You've got to know your materials and your stages. And you've got to love people. You've truly got to have passion for what you do. Our dental industry really requires passion. And, and I think if patients aren't feeling that motivation from their dentist slash dental practice, they don't return. You know, and I often say when I'm coaching a dentist, if you're not motivated about this treatment plan, why would your patient be? So it's really important that we do have, it does evolve. You'll get a practice manager when your practices get bigger. You know, you'll get a practice, and there are two types of practice managers in my world. One that doesn't actively work the floor, like she doesn't have sessions of becoming a front office coordinator or she doesn't have dedicated sessions of being a dental assistant. Or there's ones that have a bit of dedication in every area and are actually hands-on. That very much has to do with the principle of the practice and the culture and the philosophy that they want to follow. And also trust is a big thing for dentists. And you've got to think about it. You know, they're trusting people with their business, you know, with their quality of life, with the investment for their families. So it's huge trust, yeah. And there's a lot of ambitious people out there that are just fantastic practice managers and fantastic treatment coordinators. But what makes them fantastic? and this is only my view, is wanting to grow their people and not taking the limelight themselves. So it's the manager and the treatment coordinator that wants to create more treatment coordinators, practice managers that want to create more leaders that make them stand out. It reminds me much like what you started the story off when you were saying how you sacked yourself as a practice manager because you saw Jacinta who you saw potential in in taking over that role as you, you know, went on and evolved and did other things. Kathy, you talked, I really want to dive into this concept where it's like teamwork and, you know, raising other people up perhaps a little bit later on in the podcast because I really want to dive into it. Um, but let's talk a little bit about motivation because you said you talk a lot about how, you know, we need to be motivated and, you know, we can't expect our patients to be motivated if we aren't. And you're a motivational coach. Can I ask you, was there a time in your life where someone motivated you and inspired you to pursue the things that you did? Erica, it might sound corny. Yeah, I'm all for corny. Right. <laughs> you're, you're all for corny? Okay. Yeah. Well, let's hope our listeners are all for corny, right? <laughs> so... This amazing dentist who put his foot in my back and kept gate mode, taking me from step to step, he paid for a trip for me to go to San Diego and go to a very large international dental course, which I'd never, ever been out of Australia. And so I think I was 
a bit above ordinary before I went. And the corny part is I met Tony Robbins. Oh. (laughs) And I didn't even know what a Tony Robbins was. So um, I attended one of his motivational events and then I become addicted to that way of life, that way of being positive and half full instead of half empty. And I, I liked it. I really liked it. And that changed me, completely changed me um, as to who I am, to the person I am today. So I don't think it was always this motivated and positive, although I am very motivated. I was only saying to someone I was coaching this morning, I don't know, I wake up this way. I go to bed this way. I wake up first thing in the morning exactly the same way. Um, How that happened, I'm a little unsure, but I know that that trip to America for me really was a turning point. Mm -hmm. So you said the trip to America, but you said it was like a dental conference, was it? Did you learn more about like the the practice management side of things at this conference as well? Or was it less so that part, but more so the Tony, Tony Robbins part that motivated you? Which part was it? Well, I think the Americans do our dental meetings ever so wonderfully. So the hype of the introduction of the two, three days was was Tony Robbins. So, you know, you coming in with a mindset of, oh, my goodness, where am I, foreign country? What am I about to learn today? And you've got this person that's bigger than life giving you quite a life message, quite a life message. So that's basically stood with, stuck with me for the uh, weekend. And then it was about management. So I would take the courses for management. I was a big follower of Gordon Christensen. I was a big follower of Ken James. They were like my mentors in dentistry. So I would follow their path of science and whatever lectures they were in and talking about, I would just blend in the audience um, and take note of what I thought could help me because I do patient management. You know, people call it practice management, but my whole world is managing the patients and trying to give them the best that they can have in dental care. So, yeah, it kept leading me into a new room, Erica, and then I'd walk in and I'd go, oh, I like this topic, I'll stay. And then, oh, no, I hear a lot of noise in the next room. So I would then go into the next room. It was a phenomenal course. It was called The Giants of Dentistry, and it actually changed my life. As dentists and dental students, we all have difficult days. You may experience workplace or training demands that have a direct impact on your physical, emotional, and psychological health and well-being. This is exactly what dental practitioner support is for. It's a completely confidential and independently run service that's funded by the Dental Board of Australia in an effort to support practitioners and dental students right across the country. Sometimes people call just at the end of a long day to debrief, but sometimes they call because there's more challenging things going on. Dental practitioner support is there for you in these times to give proactive advice, help you improve your health and well-being before there are major concerns. We all need a helping hand sometimes, and it's okay to ask for help. So if you find you need it, call 1-800-377-700 or visit the website dpsupport.org.au. They have loads of great information to get you started. So, Kathy, you said, yeah, clearly this was a really powerful moment for you. And you said that you decided and inspired you to then go on, start your own business, start your own, you know, consulting and coaching company. 
Did you see a gap in dentistry that led you to pursue actually making this a business rather than you know just being a practice manager or you know being a patient manager, um, but actually starting up your own coaching company? Like, tell me a little bit more about how your own entrepreneurial side began. I saw an enormous gap, and I still see this gap. Tell me so about that's it. That's probably why I'm not retired, right? Yeah, because I have this quest of you know completely closing the gap. And that's to put significance, importance in a dental team and not the dentist or the specialist. So I think that's where I found my little niche is understanding the role a dental team member played, the importance they have in a patient's journey and building the team to have significant impact like I used to have with a patient. And then I sort of got the reputation of, oh, if it's something to do with the team, get Kath in. Kath fixes the teams, right? Uh, if you want your dentist fixed, well, you go to that company. But if you want your, your team fixed, you go to Kath, right? And I actually was so proud to wear that little niche for, for a long time. And that's the gap I saw. It was them and us. So I worked on that. And I think I've achieved it really well. So what ways or what kind of people, let's start off with what kind of people do you work with day in, day out then? And then following on from that, then in sort, what sort of ways do you try closing this gap? Well, the gap is definitely a generational one. Yeah, without a doubt. And I was born and bred and raised in the baby boomer generation. So to me, I only thought there was one way. And then as I entered into coaching and consulting, I was introduced to baby boomers and generation X which is a completely different generation to boomers. I mean, boomers are slower, they're judgmental, you know, they're argumentative, it's my way or no way. And then you have quite an entrepreneurial spirit in our Gen X and they wanted to do it different. And they didn't want rank. They did want to have an equal footing. And that caused a bit of a riff because the baby boomers predominantly own the practice. So that was interesting, interesting teaching many years ago is getting my boomer to let the Generation X dentist specialist team member in. But the biggest one was respect and appreciation, you know, having respect and appreciation for new generations as they surface. And then, of course, Gen Y entered our market and Gen Y is the most saturated generation in dentistry and the most underutilised one. So, again, that was a different teaching, different way because they're very independent, the Gen Ys. So as the X had a mission and they're quite assertive and they know what they want and it's full steam ahead, as a Y doesn't work so quick, Generation Y needs to be comfortable before they're successful uh, they don't work as many hours, they don't like the longer days, and none of that should be judged and only accepted for the strengths that that person and that generation offers. And that was what I was struggling with, Eric. But once I got to understand my generations quite intimately, I was forced to go and learn about them. I was very challenged by my very first Gen Y dentist in a very northern part of Queensland. And I was asked to come in by a client to fix the young dentist. And I said, well, what does that mean? And they say, well, you know, they had, we give them 40 to 46 new patients and the appointment book is empty, Kat. You need to come and fix it. So up she struts, Mrs. Baby Boomer. 
And I sit down with my Dr. Gen Y, wonderful now as, as he is in hindsight, and I told him how to fix his book, how to make it busier and everything. And he says to me, well, I'll just hang on a minute before you start. He goes, are you a dentist? And I go, oh, no, no, I'm not a dentist. And he says, oh, so are you a dental hygienist? And I went, no, I'm not a dental hygienist. But uh, And then he goes, well, what about an oral health therapist? And I went, no, not one of them either. He says, well, have you even been to university? Right? So I can tell you there was a little bit of electricity going off in this brain of mine, but I had to contain myself and stay ever so professional. And he said, well, tell me why I should have to listen to you. And that drove me, once I got from top part of Queensland back to Perth, drove me into the sense of a truly need to know my generations now as I as a coach, I need to be adaptable, I need to be considerate, I need to be knowledgeable about what that generation needs. And that also changed a bit of my life around Erica. You know, I became much more understanding of people's differences and I didn't know this at the time, but that little wedge between them and us just got a little bit closer together. And these dental teams that become more generational compatible, I'm just sitting there and I'm watching, oh, my gosh, there is a very small gap now because the Gen X and Y dentist talks to the team like a friend, like a respectful member of that team. There is no rank. And, and I'm really loving watching this at the moment. Yeah. That's so wonderful. I was so thinking, exciting. I was thinking as you were describing that, Kathy. I was like, I wonder, like, what is it? Why is it that, like, how do you fix those different generational differences? But I think it's starting to make sense now when at the very beginning you said the one thing you try to teach teams is just respect of one another, respect and appreciation. And I almost feel like that's kind of what the puzzle to getting different generations to get along is because you know the very cliche where people are like, oh, back in my day, or like, oh, you young folks. And then I feel like that's an instant just deal breaker. Like if you say words like that, then there's no way you're going to possibly get along. But being respect being respectful of a different generational differences and trying to work together through that actually brings you a lot closer. Is that kind of what you're you're suggesting? Oh, 100%. And it's most it's one of my most called out for coaching days is and I always actually start with them whether they ask for it or not is getting us to understand our basic differences in generations and why each other needs what they need. Yeah. Well, can we dive into them a little bit now, Kathy, when you talk about the differences? And we need to give Gen Z a little bit of attention as well, because I think the bulk of our listeners would be Gen Y, Gen Z. And I think it'd be interesting to, I guess, for us to know what makes us unique from other generations. And also, how does this affect us going into practices now, either as an associate or potentially as a practice owner down the track? I'm glad you brought up Gen Z. (laughs) Because I love them, right? Yeah. And I and I will absolutely be okay if that is her to be favouring because I do. And let me tell you why. Because they're shakers and they're movers, right? They're multi-skilled, multitasked. They don't complain, right? They put their head down and they just achieve. And and it's such a standout generation because 
Gen Y and Gen Z don't get on. And, you know, if siblings are listening, they probably can relate to that. And one looks at the other and says, I don't want to be like you. And that's where we may have a little bit of conflict, but the Gen Z just walks away from it as the Gen Y will just harper on it. But back, back to our basic differences with our baby boomers, and if you wish to get on with them and allow them to see you for who you are and not what they think, Real easy is just offer respect, um, just offer respect in every aspect and considerate communication with them, um, no dismissal and uh, puffing and huffing and eye movement because yeah, you're old and I'm new. And uh, that goes a long way with the boomers. You just have to accept they're judgmental. You know, they're 100% judgmental. You know, as with our Gen X, they are just ambitious. They're extremely ambitious. They want things a lot quicker than what a baby boomer has ever achieved them in. And um, in that process, they're highly successful. They work more hours than they should, but they actually don't care because it gives them the quality of life that they're looking for. They carry a lot of debt in the world at the moment. So Gen X does carry quite a bit of debt. Gen Y is a generation on its own and, and we have judged it poorly since Gen Y was announced, but only because it was that big millennium crash that the media got a hold of, which I thought was extremely unfair. But they are hard work to manage. But on saying that note, Erica, when I find a team of good Gen Ys, irrespective of what position they hold, I wrap them in cotton wool and I look after them because they are the future of dentistry. They truly are. As with our Gen Zs, they like to roam because they've got to be stimulated. So they don't like getting bored. They don't like boredom. They don't like being restricted by just doing one, two, maybe three things. So when I train a Z, it's going to keep a little leash on them, but you, you let them go. They just want to become the practice manager. They want to go in and, you know, run departments, write manuals, write protocols, I let them go. And they don't need as much praise as what your why does because your why needs a lot of appreciation and a lot of praise. But please don't judge that. That, that doesn't mean anything. It just means what they need. Yeah, you mentioned before as well like a difference between Gen X where they work long hours and you said Gen Y, Gen Z, maybe not so much. Could you Talk a little bit more about that and why you think that's the case. Well, I think it's a bit like, you know, monkey see, monkey won't do. So it's a case of they've watched that generation possibly too in front of them who have endlessly worked hours. Like the boomers have worked really hard. The ex works really hard. The boomers and the ex have high expectations. The most important thing to them is lifestyle. To a boomer, it's family. So they work really hard. And why has been... A, has sat back and observed that and, in a, in a sense, missed out on a lot, you know, in the sense of having that around them that they need to be able to get the confidence to go out there and achieve what perhaps an X and a boomer does. And that's why a Y just takes longer because it's sat there so patiently observing the X and the boomer just running for gold and they decided they don't want it. And there's, again, nothing wrong with that. 
And of course, everything I'm sharing about generations does not exist to 100% of the generation. Research only bases that on about 60 to 70%. There is a good 30% where none of this applies. You know, none of this applies. And if you're really on the cusp, that too has you in a different way of looking at these generations. Absolutely. It's a generalisation, but it's not a blanket statement. And I'm sure it also differs depending on what you're exposed to as well. Would you think so? Because I grew up in a family where my sister is a Gen X, my brother's a Gen Y, I'm borderline Gen Y, Gen Z. Um, And we're technically all different generations, but I think we have a lot of overlap just because we grew up together. Would you think that's the case? Very much so. And has a lot to do with those two people at the top that basically have raised you. So that has a lot to do with who we've become over life or who we've chosen not to become. So, yeah, I think, you know, I am the result of the Gen Y children I have. I created my Gen Ys and I now take full responsibility for that. But I didn't before I knew what I know. You know, I was always trying to correct that why, but no, the why doesn't need to be corrected. The why just needs to be shown away, you know. So that that's what I'm loving with dental teams and dentists. I mean, wow, we've got specialists in these generations now and they want to achieve so much so quick. And, again, let's not judge that. That's just the needs of that person, Yeah. So fascinating hearing about all these different generations. And I guess this is why when you approach a team, I'm sure, Kathy, every practice, every team is very different. There is no practice that is the same because it's that amalgamation of the different people that are working in it, the different personality types, the different generations. Let's talk a little bit more about a team then. And you say this is, you know, your day in, day out, what you love working um, on is how to create a great team. Tell me, what do you think? makes a great team and why is it so important to have this functioning? I think the only thing that makes a great team is strong leadership. I think there needs to be strong leadership and it doesn't actually have to be the owner of the business. You know, there are many owners of a business that I have had the pleasure of being with across my years who want to delegate that responsibility and there's nothing wrong with that. Because all they want to do is dentistry. So as if there is strong leadership and there's an example for the team to follow, then you get a really cohesive team. And not only is it cohesive, the most important thing, Erica, at the moment is that they stay together. You know, they actually stay together. And over time, areas of a dental practice puts a spotlight on what's wrong when they should be putting a spotlight on what's right and and bringing in the positive energy and vibe and let's not always focus on the negative because at the moment we're really struggling with the crash of our appointment books. You know, we've, we've had COVID, we've got flu, we've got financial restraints, we've got people having to return to go to work and that's a really hard appointment book to control. So how do you put a spotlight on that being good there is a spotlight to put on that being good. And that's the efforts by the entire team to fill the book, you know, and to have our patients well cared for. So, yeah, I think leadership is, to me, a very important part of a successful team. Having people who can 
lead us by their example, very close to that appreciation, recognition and, and, and incentive programs and bonus systems and, you know, that, that percentage that a dentist and a specialist is remunerated, well, that's just an ongoing bonus. The more they earn, the more they get. But with a, with a fixed wage and sometimes even a salary, you know, we, we're working super hard right now to earn that that uh, remuneration. And it, and it's it's just the market's going silly, and this is only Kathy's opinion, but the market's going a bit silly with wages at the moment. And we just all have to get a little bit real and know that it's still a business you're working in. It is healthcare providers, number one. But close to number one is that practice is still a business. And we all have to work together to make that business viable so that we've got a comfortable environment. So, yeah, leadership, appreciation, recognition, incentive programs. And you know what? It doesn't have to be money. You know, it can be let's go out for dinner, right? Let, let's take a week and away together. You know, let's buy a brand new chair because this one's been broken and leaking for too long. I mean, that's an incentive. It's the excitement. I think incentive is just excitement that there is changes, there is growth, there is evolution of that place that you're working at. Kathy, I need to break down a few things that you've mentioned so far. I want to talk about leadership, but I also want to talk about just what makes it rewarding working at a particular place. And I think oftentimes you hear, you know, people working in their jobs where they're like, oh, it's the nine to five. It's the, you know, counting days to the weekend or counting days till the next holiday. They're like, you know, wake up and they're dreading going to work. Obviously, this isn't like a fantastic mindset to have. How do we create a work environment where people don't have that feeling of dreading coming to work or feeling like they're running that rat's race. Do you think it's a lot involved in what you were saying, like giving people incentive or, you know, having a culture and a work environment that they enjoy being a part of? Like, I don't know if that question made sense, but what are your thoughts? Oh, all of it. (laughs) All of it makes sense. You know, when people come into becoming part of a team, Erica, first of all, they want a nice, comfortable facility. Right, somewhere that they can sit down at lunchtime and have somewhere away from a busy practice that they can sit down, eat their lunch. You know, there's a kitchen made out for them. There's a fridge specifically for them, right? There's lockers for their bags. There's, a, there's somewhere to park their cars. And, of course, they're remunerated well. And then truly, I feel, I feel we've done our part. Because people have to take a sense of responsibility themselves for how they want to appear each day with their attitude. You know, as long as we have a comfortable, modern, safe environment for our people where they are respected, appreciated, remunerated, I think, you know, a little bit now you've got to look after yourselves in that one. And life since COVID, people, since COVID, in my experience, they're different, Erica. People's coping, coping mechanism isn't what it used to be. You know, it, it just, we don't have that coping structure and strength we used to have before we were challenged by COVID. And people are still recovering from that. So I think if the practice is doing the right thing by the people, then the people now need to shake it off a little bit and reciprocate that back to their practice. But if all those 
basic requirements aren't at that practice for our people, then our people just need to make a decision to leave and go and look for. Eight hours or six, seven, eight hours in a day, Erica, is a long time to put into something that you don't enjoy. You know, the glass has got to be half full. And that's why we say half instead of full. You know, you've got to have a half full because there is no half empty because if it's half empty every day and the culture and the environment are certainly acceptable, I don't know, maybe you need to be looking at something different. The more you learn about orthodontics, the more you see it applying to almost every case. It might not always be necessary, but it's almost always an option. So then you think, I want to do aligners for my patients. And your challenge is to learn how to do that to a high standard. But once you've learned that, many people find that the challenge then is how do you actually make that work within your practice? How do you make this efficient and therefore profitable enough for you to be able to provide that to your patients in private practice? There's two people I think about when I think about aligners and then practice management. That's Dr. Jeff Hall and Dr. Jesse Green, and now they've come together to create Clear Aligner Excellence, their new education platform that is aiming to solve both of these problems for you in your practice, while also giving you huge discounts off the major aligner therapy companies. Over the next six years, aligner therapy is forecast to increase by 28%. This is a huge opportunity. Take it with both hands, clearex.com.au. So, Kathy, for a lot of our listeners, their students or their you know, new grads or dentists that are already working out of practice, what do you say about you know, the one that, for example, isn't feeling particularly motivated or doesn't feel like they're contributing as much as they can to the practice? Say that you know, the practice is great, all those basic needs are, are met, but you know, what advice do you have for someone to become a great associate? What makes you know, a good associate um, and a good dentist well, I think, and again, this is only my opinion, a new grad has it tough. I really do believe this, particularly if they're work, walking into quite an established practice, which they get very excited about. But the the pressure and the demands of that dentist can at times be slightly unfair. And every new dentist coming into a new practice, all of the America want the same thing, and that's mentoring. They want, and let's get real, need a mentor. And if they were to have a mentor that invested in them and showed them a quicker and an easier way, because that's what it's about, a quicker and an easier way, right, instead of going the hard yard for so long and you think, wow, if someone had showed me that a year ago, I would have been fine with that. That would make a, a, a really good associate quicker. And some of the personality types are just quieter. Some of the personality types are more of a thinker. So they're going to process, they're going to think. The biggest thing I see with new grads and a new dentist is the process of treatment planning can be at times confusing for them because they're not quite sure of choices, how to structure it. The biggest one is, will my patient say yes? Does my patient like me, right? What are they thinking about my treatment plan? I've just met them. What will they think? I mean, this is constantly in the back of a new grad and a new dentist. And doesn't that show passion? I mean, doesn't that show they care? You know, that that to me is a value in them. I, I see that as a plus. It's just then attaching them to a work buddy 
who's a dentist and a mentor who can guide them, perhaps not every day because then they become dependent on it, but certainly sessions in a week where they can observe and they can be observed. Um, One thing I'm noticing is that a, a new associate wants all this but a group, a group of these people are not prepared to come in at a time that they're not scheduled to see that principal work, to sit with an experienced dentist, to listen to Kay's presentation, to watch the process of treatment planning because it's my day off, you know. So we've got to give and take a little bit. You've got to invest your away time where you actually come back and learn and then you'll find a practice is really willing to mentor and show you a way. So, And many times, Erica, sadly, and I know people that are listening can relate to this, that they are fairly new grads and there's no one else in the practice. And I feel that's unkind. I feel that person would feel much more secure if they had someone for the just-in-case times. Not necessarily not necessary all of the time, but certainly for the just-in-case time. Yeah. And, and also knowing the skill of when to quit and stop chasing that eight because it's not coming out. <laughs> and guess what? You're not getting that come out today, Doc. You're going to have to let it go, right? It's knowing when I should do that, which can be challenging times. It's knowing your limits. But I think we're all dentists are such carers and they are a patient carer. So they feel an obligation to have to deliver a certain procedure a certain way. It's not always going to happen. It's not always going to happen and it's never always going to go right. Kathy, we talk a lot about how, like in that way, how a dentist can become great, how they can evolve and mature and become a great, like a better clinician quickly and easily, right? What other ways can we as an associate dentist or someone new to a clinic contribute to the rest of the team? Yeah, How can we be a good asset to the rest of the team beyond just dentistry like what things can we do to help out you know the rest of the the auxiliary staff and actually be you know part of the team oh wow this one's real easy it's a real easy one number one get to work early right so if your patient's in the chair at 8 30 please be in the building by eight you know or eight ten the latest you know, go in and open all your patient records and become familiar with your day, become familiar with your people. You know, stand with your assistant if you don't have formal morning huddles, but stand with them and plan your day and let's put together what we're going to do for patient one to eight in that day. Wow, that buys brownies. That really buys brownies. Second brownie to be bought is to stay on time. Yeah, particularly at the end of the day, Erica, because people actually have a life. Yeah. So, you know, they like to leave at a certain time in the day and let's let's not forget they're tired. You know, they may not have eaten, they maybe haven't had enough water in the day. People are tired. And then to be running late 30 or 60 or more minutes doesn't win you any friendship and it doesn't make you part of the team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Grabbing the rubbish on the way out, turning on 
on compressors, turning off compressors, doing a changeover if your assistant is like stuck in Sterry and they come back and your room's done. Oh, wow. That's being part of a team. You know what? I feel like, Kathy, the best thing, like this was, I would say it's the best thing that dental school has taught us recently, but it's a controversial statement, I think. I don't know what it's like for other dental schools, but for at my uni, um, we have to assist one another. <laughs> and so we do half days where, you know, one of us is operating in the morning and the other, our partner is assisting us. And then we swap over in the afternoon. And a lot of us hate it. Like, you know, initially when it first started, it was just like, I just want to see patients. I don't want to assist. But I feel like Everything that you've said just then, I feel like that's what assisting one another has taught us, is actually taught us to be empathetic because um, we know what it's like to be in the other like the other person's shoes. I think it's easy as the operator to get, you know, to, to get carried away where you're like, oh, I just want to finish this procedure. It's only going to take me another half an hour. I'm fine going into lunchtime. And you don't mind when you're the operator and you're treating your patient, but when you're assisting there with your friend and you're like, oh my goodness, can you hurry up now? I want to go to lunch or like we're so over time. I think it really teaches you, like, you know, gives you a taste of your own medicine. Right? Well, and, yeah, it's the other side yeah, of the fence. Absolutely. It's the other side of the fence. But yeah. I think it's really taught us that empathy of, oh, yeah, we should be treating our staff and like our nurses, they're there to assist us, but we should be treating them well as well. And I think, yeah, just this experience in dental school is just making me reflect. I'm like, I hope I'm, remember these times <laughs> yes or when I'm I reckon practicing. you, will. you yeah. will most certainly you will and, and I think something that also the team sits back and admires of a dentist is their level of communication connection to the patient so everyone who enters into a dental practice should come well groomed oh that's really important right so we must be well groomed a clean, fresh uh, uniform every day, not one that sort of lives on the back of your chair. So <laughs> we've got to be mindful of infection control. And um, and then a little bio about yourself that you have to actually tell every patient. And I had I had a dentist say to me once, Kath, this bio sounds robotic. And I said, Dr. Sunshine, why does it sound robotic? He says, well, you know what, I say eight, nine times a day. And I go, yeah, I hear you. But the patient's only hearing it for the very first time, right? And you need to put a bit of motivation and you need to change a few words every second or third patient. But they're things that people sit back, Erica, and watch. I, and I'm talking the team. You know, you pull up a chair and you sit with me and I've just met you and you're my brand new dentist. And the first thing I'm thinking is, oh, my God, is she old enough to be a dentist? How long has she been a dentist? And then you break out, break out this beautiful bio about yourself and then you're so considerate, you even ask a little bit about me, right, <laughs> and who am I and what do I like and love? Connected, straight away connected. And judgment begins to stop. So I think if, if, if dental students are listening, you need to start your practice with your own little bio. I call that likability time. So I have about two to three minutes of likability time with all my patients before I start, and that's what the team sits back, and they talk about this. They talk about this when they're together. Oh, they get, actually, they're great with patients. Patients love them. They really know how to connect with patients. That's what the team behind the dentist is actually saying. Mm. Let's talk a little bit about this little bio. 
And what things should we be saying in this little bio of ours, Kathy? Well, obviously your name. Okay, so that's a good start. Person, right, it's <laughs> right, a good start. Yeah. yeah. And because yeah. if you're working with a Gen X or baby boomer generation, they've already started to judge how young you are. So you would have to start introducing yourself with I'm doctor, first name, last name. And but everyone, please call me first name. But you've got to say the doctor title. So they are that's actually giving you credibility. And then tell me how long you've been involved in dentistry, because that's your whole university degree. Plus, you know, you've been there for what, two days. So let's make that the whole time involved. They'll all comment on how young you are. Well, when I say all, good 80% of people will comment on how young you are. Um, And that can always go back to, you know, thanking your parents for that. And it's quite genetic. And I get this comment a lot. Um, But, you know, that's enough about me. Tell me a little bit about yourself. And then, you know, they start opening up and feeling comfortable. So if you start with your bio, then say, oh, that's enough about me. Let's find a little bit about you. They love that. Patient connection is so important. In actual fact, Erica, your case acceptance has begun. You know, the yes that we're all striving for for our treatment plans, yeah, you've got a good kickstart with this one. So I, I think bios are important. They need to be kept quite short. Your, mo- your tone needs to be at least motivated. It can't be flat and dull and boring. It needs to be lifted quite up, yes. I really like that you brought up that point about, you know, as a young grad, we're going to be questioned on how long we've been in dentistry because this is something I really want your thoughts on, Kathy. And I have a particular situation. Um, I'll tell a little story time for all our listeners as well. Um, but this was a few months ago and I was at um at the, the at the main hospital, the dental hospital in Sydney, and I was seeing an emergency patient and she was an older lady. Um and she was she came in with her daughter actually and she spoke mandarin and she spoke mandarin to me that's why i saw the patient and it was also an instant connection there because we're able to communicate in her language my mandarin isn't anything fantastic but you know it she was just grateful to see someone that could talk to her and i was yeah going through assessing what her her concerns was how i could help her out with that day um but she called me um this little phrase, and I'll say it in Mandarin for any of our Mandarin listeners, but she referred to me as Xiao Guniang, which means like little princess. <laughs> or it's and it's a very endearing term, but it made me, it kind of had me a bit on the fence. And I talked to my friends about it afterwards, where she kept referring to me as, you know, this term, which had it been like, you know, my aunties or, you know, my grandparents or something, you would find it very endearing. But then to come from a patient, it I was kind of like, oh, but, you know, I'm not a little girl. I'm not a little princess, right? In a few months' time, I'm going to be a dentist. Okay? And I kind of wanted your thoughts on this is how do we work on still being, you know, friendly and connecting with our patients, but kind of still asserting a little bit of authority? Does that make sense? <laughs> It fully makes sense, but mm. I don't know if you're going to like what I'm going to say. Tell me. I'm open to right. hearing it. Okay. Well, why are you making it about you? Mm. It's all about the patient. For her yeah. to give you the title of little princess, she's what what are you what are you hearing? The little or the princess? 
Because to me, an interpretation of that is you've got her trust already. You know, you're maybe even a saviour to her at the moment because you can actually communicate with her. So she's hearing you. She's listening to you. She probably will follow your direction and your instruction. I think it's a compliment. Yeah. I think it's a compliment. I would encourage yourself and your listeners to try and put it on the other side of the fence and not worry about how you're feeling, but more so about, oh, wow, that's what she thinks of me. That's pretty amazing. Because your next few steps, your ongoing sentences will prove who you are. You know, the the quality of your work will prove who you are. I mean, everyone has to earn this. It's not given to you because I've just met you. You actually have to earn it. And and I would have taken that as an enormous compliment. Yeah. It's funny how you took it, but it's very generational in the way you took it. So it's quite normal. But let's try and go, okay, so let's not make this about me. Let's make this about the patient. Mm-hmm. And maybe you could see it in a different light. Yeah, no, I like the way you've put it. No, I don't think I took it in a bad way. Though when she said it to me, it was very endearing because I heard it as that's something my auntie would call me or that's something that like my grandparents would call me. And it's like a warm and fuzzy feeling. But I had a discussion with my friends about it afterwards and it was just a discussion of, oh, how would that make you feel? Would you feel like you were being kind of undermined or would you take that as a term of endearment? And that's why I kind of wanted your thoughts on it. And I really like where you just pointed out, you're like, well, it shouldn't be about you. It's just how the patient felt. And, you know, did they say it to you in a way of endearment or was it, you know, them belittling you? And I think in this situation, it was very much as a term of endearment. Agreed. And I don't think anyone can belittle you instantly. Um, I, I think, again, that's got nothing to do with you. I think that's got to do with them. So, But this, I didn't get any of that being belittling. I just felt that you felt that, no, but I'm a dentist and I'm very capable of whatever you're going to present to me. Well, Dr. Erica, prove it. Mm. You know, put on your best and do your best as you do and as you will. And then the conversation becomes quite null and void. Yeah. yeah. A really interesting perspective. I like where yeah. you come from. Pro- from pro- prove it to them that you are extremely capable because it's just early days for any patient that meets a dentist, irrespective of age. Yeah. No, don't you worry. The old one with the grey hair, they cop it too. Don't you worry about that because it's the opposite. Like, you know, uh, Are you up to date with technology? Are you up to date with equipment? Are you up to date with the latest and the greatest? So there's a bit both ways with patients. Whether you're a new grad or an experienced clinician, there comes a point where our passion wanes and we lack direction and motivation for our profession. At some point, we all need a little bit of inspiration, something that helps take us to the next level. Presenting the Dental Summit 2023. Two whole days of incredible lectures from Australia's greatest CPD providers held at the Shangri-La Hotel in Sydney, followed by a cocktail night to remember so you can make those connections and network with like-minded dentists. So, in 2023, invest in yourself. Visit the webpage www.tds23.com to purchase tickets for September 1st and 2nd. And you can use our discount code DHS10 to get 10% off your ticket purchase. 
let's talk a little bit about leadership and then I want to wrap it up about your advice for new grads. And you know, we mentioned before that you felt like what made a good team was having a good leader. And I feel like the term leadership is a concept that is perhaps a little bit misunderstood. Agreed. 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 Totally, totally misunderstood. Um, people think leadership is a title and a position, and it's not at all. Leadership is just a whole group of attributes in a person that makes that person the reason I want to become like you or similar to you or let me do things for you. That's leadership. So, no, it's it's very under uh, – the, the importance of it doesn't seem to land easily with people because they think it's a job. Right? They think it's a title. But a practice manager – doesn't necessarily have to be a leader and a dentist doesn't have to be a leader it's just is that natural attribute within you you know your honesty your integrity your worth your quality of life you know you're not being selfish not being dishonest that's the attributes that a natural born leader has it's not about intelligence and university degrees and what I know and what I don't know. No, leadership, I think, isn't seen important enough in our industry is my feeling. Um, and I think if everybody studied it and read up on it a little bit, they probably would be very surprised that they carry the majority of the attributes within them. And the biggest one is empathy. And people sometimes just don't have it. You know, and, and many people I know and are meeting don't have empathy. And it just means that they can't become quite a strong leader without one of the essentials, um, which is empathy. But that's nothing to be judged upon either. So, yeah, it's just attributes collectively put together in someone that you create other leaders. Leadership is getting someone to create a group of leaders like, I love creating groups of leaders. I don't want to be the leader. I want to be the redundant leader. I just want to create a group of leaders. And then you have a strong team. And sometimes when you just read up the basic attributes of leadership, you think, oh, I've got eight out of ten. <laughs> you know, I might start exercising those attributes. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what leadership is. And what I feel as well personally is that a good leader is someone that inspires other people as Not opposed to someone that dictates it. And even on our podcast, all our listeners would be familiar with David Kia, who was the founder of Dental Head Start. He started the whole podcast. Um, and, yeah, he's a fantastic leader. I know I might be biased. He's my boss. But <laughs> I think when, you know, I joined the show, he very much inspired me to want to you know take on a bigger role to do the things that I do and when our team grew and now we have you know I'm taking on a more senior role and I have Hugh and Hayden who help out behind the scenes the first thing I think it was the first time I really learned what it meant to kind of take on a bit more of a leadership role because previously I was always the more junior position but for the first time I had you know two wonderful you know team members joining on and they're looking to me for um advice and all I knew, I was just like, I really want to emulate what David did for me, where he inspired me. And I know Hugh and Hayden can tell me honestly what they think, but I hope that you know I've been able to nurture and inspire them to try, um, yeah, make make it their own as well. And I think 
what's come to show is that we've got a really wonderful team. And exactly like what you said, Kathy, it's just, it's so rewarding seeing 100%. other people's growth. Yeah. I mean, the three, and what, the, you're an example of what the three eyes of leadership are. So we get inspired, which is what happened to you. You then influence others, which is what you've just done, and then you get an impact, you know, and that's what you've got is you're in a position now of impact. So those three eyes never fail. You know, it's getting inspired. It's then learning to influence others and, bam, you've got an impact. And that's just a really good way to take the part. And there's no time frame. You know, those three eyes may take most of your life. Even they may take a month. There is no time frame. It's only really understanding the process of leadership. So you landed on your feet, young lady. You really did. You're so capable. You are influencing others and the company's got an impact. Look at your followers. I mean, you've got to step up and take responsibility of how wonderful you are. I told you that when I met you. <laughs> oh, you're my absolute you, little movie star. Oh, Kathy, yeah. you're too kind. <laughs> no, I'm not kind at all. You created all that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I really love what you say about, yeah, making an impact and it being on a different scale. Like you can have small impacts and you can have those small little eyes and then it can be on a bigger scale. It may take you a lot longer to get to, but regardless, it's just having that collection of those, those things. Um, and I really like your point about how all of us have those qualities of being a leader within us. If we just reflect on it and exercise them, I think we all have the capacity to be leaders, to inspire, to make it like influence and make an impact on people. Quite right. And you take an attribute and the way I coach is you take an attribute and we just do that for a month. So we quite try and create a culture around us where it's just based on that one attribute and then it just becomes part of life and it's just part of you each day and then okay well let's move on to another one now and then we take that over for the next month so there's many ways you can do it awareness is the first step awareness is key yeah awareness is key Kathy I've taken up a lot of your time tonight but I want to wrap this up with our a final little part of the episode, and we always say this for every one of our guests that join us on the show, is that we're very fortunate in the impact that Dental Head Start has, where um, we have a very large listenership. We reach a lot of people who are either students or new grads, people early on in their careers. And I'd like to ask you, as someone who's so well-versed in the industry and who has worked with and has you know, um, met so many grads throughout your years, is what advice do you have for new grads? If you had to give them one tip or even your top three tips on how to succeed, what advice would you give these new grads? The first one's really easy for me. When you graduate, have you chosen the right career path? Just just analyse it. Just analyse your thought process and create a vision and a path that you want your career path to go on. So you should be organising the direction of how you wish to evolve, possibly before you even take on your first practice. So did you make the right career choice? Is this where you want to be long-term, possibly even short-term? Number one. Number two, select wisely. You know, select wisely. There's a lot of positions out there at the moment. You know, we're in a market that is really saturated and suffering. 
So we, I, I, I would encourage to the new grads to really select carefully, selecting the scope of will you have support? Do you have the mentorship that you all wish to have? Is it the culture and the philosophy of patient care and dentistry you want to enter into? And don't make it mainly about money because that's what I'm seeing a little bit of at the moment is that dentists are coming in and they're saying, I want, I want, I want, I want. And that doesn't go too well at the other end because then it's an instant assessment and judgment. Um, of course, we all want money and every one of us works for it. However, I think that becomes a pathway, not, okay, let's talk about percentages, let's talk about commission, let's talk about retainers, let's talk about day rates. That's after you've made the decision that this is actually the right practice. Yeah. And, and the third one is um, just drop the rank at the front door. You know, I know you've worked hard for that title. I know that so well. But it doesn't carry a rank when you walk into a dental practice because that becomes an automatic respect. It's an organic respect for every dentist. They're the dentist and we organically respect that but it doesn't have to carry a rank. And that's how they build a flock of people just wanting to serve them. They just want to help. But if I come in with rank, a little bit of attitude, a bit of ego, oh, you tend to become an island on your own. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're actually on an island on your own and you wonder why you're in the staff room or the party room, as I call it, by yourself, right? So, yeah. I, I think those three little tips would be a good place to start. Um, yeah, just just make a decision that, uh, yes, have you chose the right career path? Great. Yep, tick, I have. Okay, now let's make some wise decisions about where I'm going and do I have the support and the growth path um, that they need? And finally, uh, I'm going to be a really integral part of this team. Absolutely. I love how that's come full circle. And it's like, I feel like the main theme of today's episode has all been about teamwork and how to be an integral part of the team and really being in an environment that you love that you know fosters your growth and your passion. So thank you so much, Kathy, for joining us. Oh, for wow. It's been a huge thank you from me. I've enjoyed every minute of our time together Um, and I hope our listeners have too and that they've got some pearls of nuggets that they could possibly process and think about. Dentistry for me has been an amazing career. I wouldn't change anything given the opportunity, not one thing. So I hope it's as kind to everyone as it's been to me. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you for the opportunity and I still think you're a movie star. (laughs) thank you Kathy thank you so much for listening to the Dental Head Start podcast I genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist so if you like what you're hearing make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends that's how the word gets out that's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists.